Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series within OSI Today called My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. Mike Lydon, the Senior Intelligence Officer for OSI and the Associate Director for Intelligence Management. Sir, welcome to My OSI Journey. Great to uh, finally uh, talk to you today. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited to uh, have the conversation. Now, before we dive into the questions, I, uh, I need to preface this. Well, uh, being a sports fanatic like I am, I noticed in your bio that when you were getting your psychology degree, I believe it was, your bachelor's from uh, Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Browns, I know, uh, you uh, were also a three-year varsity letterman on the Case Western University football team. So I have to ask you, what was your position and, and did you have any aspirations to go pro? I, I wish. I'm a little bit on the uh, small side for, for going pro. Uh, I played defensive line and one year at middle linebacker. Uh, wow. So I was always on, on the defensive side of the ball. And I am a proud uh, Cleveland Browns fan. I've, I've stuck with them through thick and thin. Uh, so that uh, says a lot about my personality right there, maybe. Wow. Wow. Very, very good. Well, being from Chicago, I'm a Bears fan. So that's another story entirely. But, uh, anyway, when we, well, let's get into the, the question, shall we? Uh, as we, as we showcase your OSI journey today. Uh, sir, when and how did you become interested in law enforcement and subsequently into OSI? Well, I'm a, a late comer to the idea of working in, in law enforcement. And I'll be honest, OSI was not on my radar early uh-huh. in my career. Uh-huh. I think I, I could trace back the why I'm here partially all the way back to as a child where I was fascinated, almost obsessive with airplanes, <laughs> okay. uh, all, things, all things flying, you know, books and museums and right. you know, everything I could watch on, on TV at the time on, on airplanes. And so I think subconsciously, when later in my career, I had a sort of a chance to, to make a change. Uh, OSI being affiliated with the Department of the Air Force spoke to me right. more so than maybe some of our, our other uh, organizations, right. Dealing with boats and, and tanks and, and those sorts of things. So right. I had a personal affinity for, for aircraft. Uh, but I, my first career is actually in the social services. Uh-huh. Um, so I took a pretty dramatic change, uh, spent about four years, uh, in that area, first working with children, right. uh, then later with adults with traumatic brain injury in uh-huh. home settings. Uh, but through happenstance, I, I had met a, uh, professor of intelligence studies at Mercyhurst University in Erie, PA. Right. Who was a colleague of my my father's who was working there at the time. Okay. And he introduced me to this entire world of uh, intelligence analysis. And yeah, we had a great conversation about geopolitics and all kinds of stuff that I was very much interested in, but didn't realize there was an outlet like intelligence analysis. You know, it's right. not a military kid, no military background. And it's one of those career fields that, you know, sometimes it's... Uh, not obvious to everyone that it, it exists. Uh-huh. So I used right. graduate school uh, as an opportunity to tra- transition from social work to intelligence analysis. Wow. Uh, graduated out of there and began working for uh, kind of a small consulting firm uh, around the intelligence community. Yeah. Um, and from there, ultimately, uh, because of the niche area that I was in, I got recruited by OSI to uh, bring over some of that experience uh, in what I was working with at the time. Sure. Uh, apply it to the counterintelligence side of things. 
Uh-huh. I don't know if that was joining the light or the dark side. In the <laughs> uh, but right. I, made, I made that switch over to, to CI as, as an analyst, as a uh, GG12, uh, right. about, about a decade ago now. I see. Okay, very interesting. Uh, now, you mentioned you were recruited uh, uh, to OSI. Uh, how did that all evolve? Uh, was it, did you go to like a, uh, we've heard a lot about career fairs and things like this, or did somebody just kind of reach out to you and say, hey, Mike, uh, this could be for you? You know, I was at a intelligence community training event with my longtime, well, who would become my longtime supervisor. Uh, we sat next to each other at a table, and that's how uh, I learned about OSI, and, and he learned about me. Um, and we got to uh, talking, and a couple years, uh, no, nah, maybe a year later, there, there was an opening. Uh, he reached out, and uh, I followed up, and lo and behold, uh, I end up as an intelligence specialist for, for OSI. Wow. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you had no military background per se. Uh, as a civilian coming into the uh, career field and into OSI, was there kind of a, uh, a getting used to period as far as getting used to the acronyms and the way, you know, talking Air Forces and things like this that uh, you had to uh, kind of get used to? Yeah, I, I really did. Um, OSI is unique, right? Just us, NCIS and FBI have this blend of the intelligence community and law enforcement. Right. So that, that makes it really unique. So unless you're in one of those three organizations, coming into OSI brought with it a, a unique culture, its own shorthand. And I had never worked in anything close to law enforcement specifically. Uh-huh. So for the longest time, I just smirked whenever someone said, you know, the crim mission. Right. Uh, I right. never understand why <laughs> all the words that one was decided to be, to be shortened. Sure. Uh, so I'll chuckle myself whenever anyone says crim around OSI. But right. After a decade, you get, you get used to it. Uh, right. But yeah, that, that was a little bit of a culture culture shock. I was also working in civilian agencies uh, uh-huh. prior to OSI. So just understanding uh, the hierarchical nature of a military organization, um, everything from, you know, insignia and ranks and all of that, that was all brand new to me. Uh-huh. Now, that really uh, lends in nicely to my next question uh, about challenges. Uh, you mentioned that particular uh, aspect of, of getting acclimated to your, your environment as being a challenge. Uh, were there any other challenges that when you joined OSI that you had to deal with and, and uh, how did you overcome them or, or was just talking in that vernacular uh, kind of the overriding issue for you? It was the vernacular, um, but also getting used to a new set of rules uh, around intelligence oversight that uh-huh. that didn't, while they certainly applied to my previous roles, were not front and center the way they are uh, in an organization like OSI because we, we would do our work domestically. Right. right? So we have intelligence oversight. We take great care, right, with our record keeping and all, all of the work that goes behind the scenes to, to make that work correctly. Right. And that was just an aspect of, the, the intelligence community that I had minimal exposure to uh-huh. that, that takes some adjusting uh, because there's just a, a different approach to how we carefully handle uh, information about uh, U.S. persons. Right, right, right. It does, it, it, if nothing else, uh, uh, having been in formerly uh, in an intelligence career field back in the day before I had gray hair when I was uh, active duty, uh, I can uh, vouch for the fact that if nothing else, uh, just the entire intelligence environment and community is one of the most interesting uh, jobs to be involved with. Uh, would you say that's a fair assessment? It is. Uh, the, the breadth and scope of topics that we get to touch on a, on a daily basis is um, inspiring and humbling, uh, and also knowing that there's rarely a, a second team behind you, right, ready to uh, pick up if, if you get it wrong. Right, uh, so right. The the bench isn't deep. 
And that that right. is you know, both scary sometimes, but also exciting and again, humbling that uh, we're given that respect and trust uh, to conduct this mission on behalf of the Department of the Air Force. Right, right. Well, without a doubt, uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of responsibility, accountability, and uh, uh, very very well put, uh, Mr. Lydon. Now, uh, shifting gears slightly, who or what inspires you to do your best in OSI? Is there like a group or an individual, maybe that you've met uh, in your past that uh, has uh, really made an impression on you to uh, you know do the very best you can day in and day out, uh, or is it uh, is it something else? So. Yeah, there's been so many great team members and, and supervisors and leadership that I've uh, had the luck to work with over the years. Um, so I, I would hate to pull any one person out. Uh, sure, sure. Getting someone else who's equally awesome. But from a more meta perspective, kind of stepping back for a second, uh, you know, I, I'm generally inspired by the mission that we've been given that responsibility for. We, we touched uh-huh. on responsibility. And uh, that is what I find more motivating than than just about anything else. Uh, I genuinely feel that we contribute to uh, the greater national security of the United States on a day in and day out basis. Uh-huh. Um, and m- most of my work in OSI has been on the uh, national security side, less in the law enforcement side. Right. Um, and I know those folks also have some of that uh external motivation, right? Knowing that their community, that their base is, is, is a safer place as a result of their actions, right? right. So there's something about having that responsibility for, for folks like myself and, and other OSI members, right? That uh, we're both, uh, I think, humbled by the experience, but also confident enough that, that OSI has given us the, the training and resources uh, and the support necessary, right? To succeed in, in these situations. And, and so that uh, that's inspiring to know that we've got that level of support, that level of trust, that level of respect. Um, and then a second uh, part of this to me has to be with the commands uh, allowance uh, for us to innovate, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. we, we know that we have to bring our A game every day, um, but that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to fail, right? Assuming right. we do so in a, uh, in a manner where we consider the risk but we know that failure is a key component to innovation, right? I think it was right, right. Edison, right, has this famous quote that, uh, you know, one way to look at it is if you fail a thousand times, another is you found a thousand ways it didn't work. Right, right. So right. <laughs> there's an important aspect to that. Kind of, kind of dove, dovetailing on that, if I might interject real quick, uh, I heard a phrase that says, uh, if, if you don't fail, that means you're not trying. Exactly. Yeah. And it's having, having leadership from the top down, uh, who understands the difference between uh, risk acceptance and risk mitigation and allowing us to have uh, as uh, those who are executing the mission, right? That, that room to, to innovate and fail appropriately. And that, uh-huh. that's exciting, right? Right. Yeah. That must give you a great sense of uh, satisfaction knowing that, uh, you know, leadership has your back in that regard. It, it does. And there's never been a time, and again, this may sound like I'm, you know, cheerleading here for a moment, but that has, there's never been a point in my career where I didn't feel that, that I had that immediate support. Um, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned from mistakes I've made and people have uh, made it clear that uh, we can move on. We'll learn. We can adapt from those mistakes as a part of, part of growing up uh, right. in this career field. And I, I genuinely thankful for that uh, support. 
Right. Now, kind of dovetailing on that question, if I may, uh, you get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, gratification or satisfaction in what you do. Uh, uh, Do you find that there's a a way that you can really quantify your successes in the Intel community? So measuring success and intelligence is a a very challenging thing. Um, Uh In fact, I wrote my my master's thesis on that exact topic. Oh, is that right? Okay. (laughs) Because <laughs> um, so, here, here's the problem with, with intelligence. If I was to make an assessment, say that country A is likely to do bad thing B over the next three to five years, right. and that gets out of the hands of our agents in the field who do defensive activities to help prevent that, it gets in the hands of senior decision makers, right, who make changes to policy uh-huh. in order to prevent that from happening. And then that event that I predicted in my analysis doesn't happen, was uh-huh. I wrong, Right. Or did all these things that happen influence right. you know, the future uh, in, in a way that you know um, changes the outcome of what we had predicted? So measuring right. success kind of from a quantitative standpoint has is, is always been a challenge. There's I'll, always, there's, there's I'll, I would yeah. guess too, sir, that it would be, you know, timing is a big part of that as well from what you just said. Yeah, it, it's being, a, it's, you know, being relevant in your intelligence analysis is, is very important. Can't be too late. Um, yeah, you have to have something that's actionable, right? Our, our goal as uh, intelligence specialists, specifically doing uh, estimative analysis work, is to reduce uncertainty in decision-making. That's our rule. And it has to be timely in order for that decision uh, to have the decision-maker to have all the information they need uh, to accept whatever risk they may be making decision to accept, to make any policy decisions they may be uh, getting ready to accept, uh, from the tactical level, right? Whether that's a, right. a detachment commander deciding how to allocate uh, his or her, her resources uh, right. on, on that base, all the way up, right, to a, a secretary level person who's got to make a decision about resource allocation at the at the department level. Right. Uh, if it's not timely, right, then it's it's not uh, not effective. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a big responsibility, and uh, I. I from what you're describing, it's one that uh, you and uh, uh, all of your teammates uh, really seem to, I would, I would say, is it fair to say that you really relish that responsibility? We do. Uh, I, I think one of our motivators, because it's certainly not the paycheck, right, as, as civil servants, uh, we have to think of what else, what else brings you to work every day. Right. And I, I think it's understanding that uh, even though OSI may be a smaller agency, that we punch above our weight that we have impact on national level policy. We impact people's lives mm-hmm. uh, also, right? So we span that whole spectrum. And so whatever I, I think motivates our workforce, uh, whether that's, you know, touching people individually uh, through the, their day-to-day work, uh, through law enforcement or fraud investigations, you know, all the way up to these big moving strategic intelligence assessments, right? To affect national level policy. All, all that has the same effect uh, on people who choose this career field, right? When they see that you've had a, a chance to make an impact. And right. working for a smaller organization that's nimble like OSI, uh-huh. you can do that much earlier in your career, in, in my experience, than you could uh, at one of the really big, more behemoth level. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, very interesting perspective. No doubt about that. Uh, Mr. Leiden, if you could do it all over again, and I realize hindsight is always twenty twenty, is there anything you would change about your OSI career at all? I, I would. Um, I, I wish that through my journey to where I am now, I would have worked more diligently to expose myself to more of our different mission sets. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process now of sort of building out a talent management framework for talent acquisition, talent retention uh, of, of our 132 intelligence specialists. Right. And ultimately, I'm, I'm trying to design a system where Mike wouldn't necessarily be the best option to have the, the role that I have now, that there will be yeah. folks coming up who've seen the breadth of OSI's mission. Right. I spent most of my career around science, technology related intelligence. Almost my entire time in OSI also focused around technology and technology protection, supply chain risk management, that kind of thing. Right. And we do a lot more than just that, right? That's just a sliver of sure. responsibility. Sure. So, yeah, it's important, I think, for, for the analysts coming up now to, to really embrace um, that breadth of mission and, and know that it's good for their career to work in fraud, spend time on the law enforcement side, spend time in cyber, get that breadth of experience. Right. I think that makes for a better analyst. And it certainly makes for a better leader of analysts. I see. Very well said. Now let's uh, shift gears once again and uh, kind of uh, go into your crystal ball a little bit. Uh, what direction do you envision OSI heading into the future? So uh, I'm going to stick initially with the first part of this answer to the national security side of the house. Uh-huh. And we're facing a, a return of great power competition. Uh, a bipolar or multipolar world. And whether or not you agree with this assessment, our adversaries see the United States um, have, they see the United States has reached a point in their assessment of uh, irreversible decline and mm. they are going to become more bold. Right? Sure. Sure. That with, with all of our, our, our peers right now. Uh-huh. And that makes our job much harder, right? When you're no longer uh, necessarily uh, feared by your adversaries, that they're, they, they sense weakness. And that, that's, that's going to shift how we do our work dramatically. Right. Um, right. As if we think about our, our prioritization of work uh-huh. uh, and how we handle these very complex situations. Because unlike past great power conflict, uh, we have intertwined economies, for example, with China. Right. These, right. these are very complicated situations. There's economic security, national security. There's lots of variables here. Uh, so OSI is going to have to adapt to that world. And, and we're making those those movements now. Right. That, right. That's happening in the background. Sure. Uh, the, the, how do we enable the Air Force and the Space Force to uh, perform its mission in that environment? So that's, that's first. Right. The right. second is broader than that. And this includes our, our law enforcement missions uh, as, as well as, you know, well, the whole spectrum. We, I've talked about innovation earlier, and OSI is doubling down, all right, on embracing of innovation as right. we look at digital transformation and how that's going to affect uh, how we do our world, our, our work in the world. Mm-hmm. It's understanding the role of artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, in informing and enabling the work that we do. Uh, and there's a race right now um, between, again, uh, near peer states. Right to to figure out how AI, which I think is the next big disruptive thing, if it's not already done so Mm -hmm. uh, in our lives, and how we're going to embrace that at OSI, and so that's going to shape everything from criminal investigations at the base level for for drug use, all the way up through complex national security cases. AI and machine learning will have an impact on all of that. Right. Right. It's very, very uh, thoughtful response there, uh, Mr. Leiden. And uh, I'm sure uh, time will tell on how uh, how it all uh, pans out. Uh, let's kind of uh, turn a little introspectively now uh, to OSI. And 
why, in your view, is diversity and inclusion a foundational element to OSI's success? Three words, uh, combating cognitive bias. Okay. That's one of my roles uh, as uh, the SIO for the command, right, is ensuring that we apply appropriate tradecraft to our intelligence work. And uh, a cornerstone of intelligence analysis is understanding how to mitigate as best as possible. It's not a foolproof thing, right? How do we mitigate cognitive bias? And one of the ways you do that is ensuring uh, a free flow of new, fresh ideas into your, your process. Right. And one of the ways you see it there, right, is having a diverse, inclusive uh, pool of intelligence specialists performing that work with mm-hmm. different backgrounds, different life experiences, different world experiences, right? That right. brings new ideas. That brings uh, an ability to think outside of sort of an established mental schema or framework for the way maybe a bad guy behaves. Right. Uh, let's just shift that. So it's, it's the number one thing we can do to combat cognitive bias. Very, very well put. Uh, now let's uh, shift gears one more time uh, and put your recruiting hat on for a second, if we could. What advice would you give someone wanting to join OSI? Well, don't let your background dissuade you. If you don't think that you have a law enforcement background or a traditional intelligence background or a military background, don't let that dissuade you. Mm-hmm. Back to the idea of diversity and inclusion, we're looking for all kinds of people to perform our mission. What we want are people who understand how to think about the world, not what to think about the world. Right. So don't, don't disqualify yourself, right? <laughs> you don't think you have that background. Uh, you know, as an example, we're building out a series of new detachments in some of the innovation centers around the country, places like Silicon Valley and Austin. And we're actively recruiting individuals with backgrounds in venture capital, economics, engineering, right? all different ways of, of coming at this, this very complex mission set that we've kind of hinted at here. Uh, we need more than people with that traditional, uh, I've spent my entire 20 years in the intelligence community. They have a role, right? Deep Southern right. American Peace has a role, but so does breadth of experience in bringing these new thoughts and ideas. So don't, don't self-disqualify yourself. Okay. It sounds awesome. Give us a ring. Very, very good. Uh, You make a nice recruiter. That's always very well said. Uh, Now, before we wrap things up, uh, Mr. Lydon, is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, no, I'd just like to thank you for the opportunity to to shed some light on uh, some of the inner workings of an organization that uh, historically, right, we're a a bit more uh, quiet and we do a lot of cool things. And so it's exciting to get a chance to to talk about that with uh, folks outside of the office. Very, very well said. Our guest has been Mr. Mike Lydon, Senior Intelligence Officer for OSI and the Associate Director for Intelligent Management. Sir, thanks so much again for taking the time to be with us. Really enjoyed talking with you. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today and my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now. <laughs>